Good morning, Church at the Mill. My name is Chandler Davis. I am the middle school pastor here at Church at the Mill. And I want to say that this is an honor and a privilege to have such an opportunity as this, to be on this stage and to present and preach God's word to you. Thank you for this opportunity. Um, If this is maybe your first time here, maybe you've been here a couple weeks, but I want to catch you up to speed. We are in the third week of a five-week series called How It All Started. We think about this book here as it's a big book and there's a lot of incredible things in here, a lot of things in God's word that can apply to our life and and, and speak truth into us. And sometimes we'll see it like, well, how did we even get here? How do we even get to this point? And so we are actually studying the book of Genesis and we're actually picking out the five biggest stories in the book of Genesis to help us understand the redemptive story of Jesus Christ. To help us understand how there was a relationship built, there was rebellion that happened, but then there's also redemption. And we're going to be picking up here, and we're going to be picking up in the book of Genesis chapter 22. So if you have a copy of God's Word, please find it and turn to Genesis chapter 22. And we're going to be reading verse 1 through 18. And we're going to be looking at the story of Abraham and Isaac. As I say Abraham and Isaac, your mind probably immediately goes back to Sunday school. I can tell you mine does. When I think of Abraham and Isaac, right, you think of a father and a son. As you're turning there, I want to summarize for you. You have a father and a son. You have Abraham who is wanting to do what God has commanded him to do. You have a father that takes Isaac with him. You have Isaac who's carrying the wood on his back. You have Abraham who builds the altar. You have Isaac who crawls on the altar. You have Abraham who ties him up on the altar. You have Isaac who's laying on the altar, looking up, watching the knife in his father's hand. You see Abraham with the knife raised up against his son. Your mind immediately goes to this story. This is a very popular story. I know, I remember growing up, going to Sunday school, Miss Brenda who was an elderly lady, she taught all of my Sunday schools growing up. And I remember Miss Brenda teaching me about Abraham and Isaac. And then maybe for you right now, when I say Abraham and Isaac, you may begin to check out and think, well, I know this story. I, I know this one. I can just check out. I can start scrolling through my phone. I can look at social media. Maybe you even, if you're watching online, closing the laptop. Can I encourage you not to do that? Can I encourage you to really just buckle up Lean forward and let's see what God has for us. Because let me tell you, I want us to answer the question, what can we learn from Abraham and Isaac? I want you to know as I begin to study for this, as this was a very popular story for me, something I remember growing up, something I can summarize very fastly, very quickly, and I know the story, I can tell you I took a moment and thought, God, teach me something. Teach me something as I prepare to preach God's word. So I prepare to preach your word, teach me something. What can I learn? This is a question that I asked in order to be able to prepare for this. And I want you to ask that same question. What can we learn? Well, guys, I want to start where every pastor should start. And that's in God's word. So if you would, with me, turn to Genesis chapter 22. And we're going to be starting in verse 1. And this is what it says. It says, after these things... God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. We think about God's word and there are incredible stories in God's word that we can think of that when I say them, you'll think of them and and they'll come to your mind like Adam and Eve, like maybe like Noah and the ark, like Pastor Chris preached last, last week. Maybe you think of maybe Moses freeing God's people. Maybe you think of Joshua and the wall of Jericho. Maybe you think of Daniel and the lion's den. There's all incredible stories in God's word. You think of David and Goliath. And those incredible stories, when I say them, your mind immediately goes somewhere. And even if you grew up not going to church, even if you never read God's word, when I say those phrases, your mind knows the story. 
And while that's a long list and it can be so much longer, we should not leave Abraham and Isaac off. This story of Abraham and Isaac is this incredible crisis in Abraham's life where he's called to do something incredible and show incredible faith. And we read here in the first two verses, God calls him, says, Abraham, I'm going to test you. And here's the first thing I want you to see that we can see from God's word is that there is a confusing test. There's a confusing test. The first thing I want to hit on there is that word test. When we think about a test, if you're like me, you may be thinking, whew, anxiety, I'm starting to sweat, not a good test taker. I remember failing the driving test three times. Like, I'm not, don't want to think about a test. I wasn't, I wasn't. Am not, probably will never be a good test taker. I remember the anxiety built up as I was preparing for the SAT, knowing I had to get a certain score, walking in there to be able to get to the college I wanted to go to, and then walking out and realize, man, I didn't get it. Test, there's, there's a few things about tests, right? The, the, the bad part about a test is that it's a test. The preparation for a test, the, the, the studying, the things you have to do for a test. The good part about a test, the awesome part about a test, is that a test prepares you for a higher level, prepares you for a, a more advanced you. You think about a test, right, when you think about in class, you have to take a test in order to go to the next grade. You think about a test when you maybe are trying to get a certain job. You have to pass a test, and maybe in order to get a certain job you want, a promotion you want. You think about a test is something you have to take in order to get your driver's license so you can operate a motor vehicle. There's all these reasons for a test. We think about education, right? Education for a test. A test in education is a critical examination, observation, or evaluation for measuring the skill, knowledge, intelligence, capacities, and aptitudes of an individual or group. Guys, I want you to know we have a gracious God. We have a God that's loving, that has created us, that has formed us, that is, shows kindness. We have a God that's a providing God. But I also want you to know we have a testing God. We have a God that believes in testing his children, his people. Tests are so important. And when you see that God tests you, he is taking you from a level that you think you're at to another level, an advanced level relationship with him. When I think about testing, I think about this show I've been watching called Forged in Fire. It's on the History Channel. I was really just scrolling through and I saw it and I can't get my eyes off of it. It's this competition, for those of you that don't know, it's this competition of these incredible gifted men or women that have come together and they, they're gifted in making weapons, specifically blades. And this this whole challenge and they're challenged to take a piece of steel and to go race against time to make this incredible weapon in a blade. They do that by what the name's called, which is to forge it in fire. They take this piece of steel, they put it in a flame, they get it so hot, the extreme heat causes this steel to be able to be shaped, to soften so it can be shaped and it can be sharpened. And they begin to take a, a, a another piece of steel and they'll take it out when it's softened and they'll hit the piece of steel that comes out of fire so they can begin to sharpen it and strengthen it. Tests are so important. Sometimes we'll think, I don't want to have anything to do with a test. But tests are so important, especially when it comes to this blade, it has to go through the extreme heat and the structs by another piece of steel in order to be an incredible tool. Guys, we have a testing God. We have a God that tests us. There's three things I want you to see about this test. The first thing I want you to see is that the test is certain. There is certainty to the test. Verse one, this is what it says. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Guys, when it comes to tests from God, we cannot or nor should we run from the test. I can tell you, man, I tried to dip and dodge every test I could in school. I tried to run from it. I knew I, I never felt prepared. I was always nervous. I'm not a good test taker. And we'll try to run from it. Guys, you cannot run from the test from God. There's certainty to it. 
You are going to be tested. As you sit here today, some of you in this room right now, you know what I'm talking about. You know that you've been in a test and you're in a test right now. Some of you, you raise your hand like, praise Jesus, I'm walking out of a test. We praise him for that. Some of you right now, you may be walking towards a test and you don't even know it. And there's nothing you can do from it. There's certainty to a test. Every single person on this earth will experience a test someday. Because we have a testing God. Romans talks about this in Romans chapter 14, verse 10 through 12. It says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. There's a certainty to test. That's Paul writing. Paul also writes in 2 Corinthians. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for him, for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The test that I'm talking about, there's certainty to it. You cannot run from it. Doesn't matter how much you don't want to do it. You may be sitting here right now being like, I don't want to test. I don't want to experience this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to have anything to do with this. God, please don't test me. There's certainty and urgency because not only is the test certain, the test is compelling. Look with me in God's word. In verse two, it says, and he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go. There is compelling urgency to this test that God is putting before Abraham. We live in a God that tests us in the now. There is reason for you being tested in the here and now. So many times we'll think, well, I don't want to, maybe I'll do that test, but I don't want to challenge my family to that test right now. I'll just wait. I don't want to actually stop hanging out with those people in this moment. I want to keep doing what I'm doing. I don't want to go through that test right now. I'll wait. I'll just wait. There's compelling urgency. As he says, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go. James talks about how we have a God that is a here and now God and talks about not boasting about tomorrow. In James chapter four, it says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Guys, when we are tested by God, there's a compelling urgency to God's test. Why? Because the compelling urgency to God's test is purposeful. We don't have a God that just tests us just for his kicks and giggles, just to watch us scramble and try to figure out what's going on. No, there's a purpose for the test. Back in the book of James, James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing, that testing word there, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And here's the purpose, why? And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. While this test that we're talking about that Abraham is experiencing right now in his life, this test is certain but the test is compelling. There's a reason for it. There's a reason you're going through what you're going through right now. There's a purpose behind it all. So, but what about if the test is certain and the test is compelling, but what about if the test is confusing? What if the test makes no sense? Can I tell you, that this test that God is putting Abraham through is confusing? This test is making no sense. Why? Let me walk with you through that. I'm gonna take you back to Genesis chapter 18, just a few, just a handful, Genesis chapter 17, my apologies. 
just a handful of chapters before Genesis 22. And this is what it says. It says, when Abram, that's Abraham, this is before his name change, which you'll see later on in this text. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me. Be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell to his face and, and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. If you continue on in that text, he talks about how the salvation of the world would come through this promise, this covenant he's making. Let's go to the next chapter in Genesis chapter 18, verse 10. It says, the Lord said, this is a little while after that last text we just read. Genesis 17, it says, and the Lord said, I will surely return to you. He comes back, has another experience with Abraham, says, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Just to catch you up to speed here, Abraham and his wife had been desperately begging and pleading with God to provide for them a son. So God is blessing them with a son by the name of Isaac, who Sarah laughs about, but then Isaac means laughter. That's just a little hint there that God will sometimes use a test and your doubt to remind you of his faithfulness. That God is using this and he provides for them a son. Just imagine the excitement they have. Just imagine the passion, the excitement they have, and then God comes and says, take your son. Your only son, whom you love, God is getting specific here, and he's like, in case you didn't know who I was talking about, Isaac. Take your son Isaac and sacrifice him. Imagine, sometimes we'll read scripture here and we will emotionally separate ourselves from that. Sometimes we'll read this story and we'll read it backwards and be like, okay, wait, God did provide for him. Don't read it backwards here. Stay in this moment of God calling him to sacrifice the thing that he had begged and pleaded for his entire life. This is confusing. This is a hard message to take. I want to be clear that when I say that God's message, God's test is confusing, what I'm not saying is that God is wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that God doesn't know what he's talking about. I am not saying that. But what I am saying is that for our humanity and our human nature, this message, this test that God is putting before Abraham is confusing. It makes no sense in our humanity. Can I tell you that we don't have a God that limits himself to humanity? We don't have a God that limits himself to human nature. Look at all the incredible things God did. Think about Adam and Eve. Think about the creation. God created everything out of nothing by just speaking it into existence. Think about Noah and the ark. God flooded the earth even though it had never rained before. What? Think about God using Moses who stuttered, could not get in front of people to talk, but God used Moses to free the people of Israel. Think about God calling David, who was the smallest and the youngest of Jesse's children. And God called him to be the king of Israel and to kill a giant. Think about God protecting Daniel in the lion's den and keeping those hungry lions in their mouth shut. We have a God of the unnatural. Think about Jesus. Think about God calling a teenage girl to be the mother of Jesus. Think about our Savior, Jesus calling ordinary men to do extraordinary things. We have a God of the unnatural. We have a God that while the message is confusing, we cannot limit our God to our humanity. Some of you right now are experiencing a test that is confusing. 
You're like, what does this even mean? How am I supposed to wrestle with this? This makes no sense to me. Can I tell you that maybe God's doing something that you don't even know about, that your natural mind is struggling with? We have a God of the unnatural. This is a confusing test, though. God, it seems I can feel the heartache, the brokenness, the illogical thought that God, who provided Isaac, would then call Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. While Abraham is being surrounded by pagans who were regularly sacrificing their children to their gods, but not Jehovah, not, not the God Almighty, not the great God, not the one true God. He's never done this. As a young father of myself, I have a one-year-old, Paisley Joe. She's the most precious thing in the world. And my wife is carrying our next child. And as a young father, I sit there and I think about that weight. Like, how could God call him to do this? This is confusing. How would Abraham, like, as I'm reading, I'm like, how would Abraham respond to this? What is he going to do? Let's look. Why don't we just look in God's word, verse 3 of Genesis chapter 22. And it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. How does Abraham respond to a certain but compelling but also confusing test? with complete trust. He responds with complete trust. While trust may be few and far between right now, I am so thankful that Abraham had complete trust. How could he have a complete trust? How does he demonstrate this complete, this complete trust? The first thing I want you to know about this complete trust is that it was done without all the details. Let's go back and look at it. Even in verse 2, it says, Go to the mountain, go to the land of Moriah and offer there as a burnt offering on the mountain of which I shall tell you. He didn't even have all the details. He didn't know about the how. He just knew about the what. He just knew God was calling him to do something. And it says he got up early in the morning. What I love about this is that there was movement connected to his faith. Can I tell you that your faith is measured by your movement? If there is no movement, there is no faith. Just think of Abraham laying there in his bed and he's having this, God is talking to him saying, hey, you're gonna sacrifice your son. And Abraham looks at God and says, yeah, so you finished? Can I tell you something? No. No. I'm not gonna go do that. But what I will tell you is I'm willing to do it. I, I can tell you I'm faithful. That's not how this works. His faith is tied with his movement. He demonstrates that. As we read this story, we see that he gets up early in the morning. Now, we don't really know if he's in a good mood or a bad mood. We can maybe read this and think, oh, he's just up, ready, kind of like I was this morning. I rolled out of bed. I was like, man, I'm getting ready to go preach. I'm so excited. Man, let's go. Or maybe what if he rolled out of bed and maybe he wasn't as happy because he didn't have all the understanding. You either get up early because you're excited or you're stressed. You either get up early because you're ready to accomplish something great or you get out of bed early because you can't sleep. Maybe Abraham got out of bed early because he just couldn't sleep. Abraham at this point was a very wealthy man. It says that he had servants. A wealthy man would not have got up and gone saddled his own donkey. It says he got up and saddled his own donkey, and it says he chopped the wood. A wealthy man wouldn't have done that. He'd have called his servants to do that. But it says Abraham got up and he did it. Was he doing that to maybe take his mind off of what he was getting ready to do? Let's not take the emotions out of Abraham's life in this situation. While he did not have complete understanding, he had complete faith. Complete trust is not dependent on complete understanding. 
Some of you right now, you know God's calling you to do something, but you just don't even know if you can do it. You don't even know if you can accomplish that. You don't even know, you don't have the full understanding. You have to have the details. You have to have the plan. You're one of those people that have to have an hour by hour, a minute by minute vacation. Good luck for you. I hate those. But you're one of those people. You got to have a complete understanding. My wife's one of those. Yes, she is. You have to have a complete understanding of every moment, every hour, every minute, what's going to happen on vacation. And you got to have all the details before you step out on faith. Complete trust is not dependent on complete understanding. God is calling you to do something incredible without all the details. Abraham did that. He got up and he went. Let's continue the story in verse five. Look with me, it says, then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Well, now wait a second. Abraham, we know what God just called you to do. God called you to sacrifice your son. God called you to give up your son, but now you're telling these young men, you're gonna go up to the mountain and you're gonna come back with your son. This makes no sense. How could Abraham say that him and his son, when he knew he was gonna sacrifice him, they were gonna come back? The New Testament tells us about this. In Hebrews chapter 11, Verse 19, it says, this is talking about Abraham here, it says, he considered that God was able even to raise him, Isaac, from the dead. Abraham had trust that God was gonna do something incredible and that God was gonna raise his son back up from the dead. How could he speak this? Can I tell you, all he was doing was communicating truth. Believers in the room, look at me. When you're in a trial, when you're in a test, we are called to communicate the truth even in the contradiction of the circumstance. We are called to communicate the truth of God's word even in the contradiction of the circumstance. Meaning when something's going wrong, when bad things are happening to good people, when good things are happening to bad people and we don't understand why this is happening and those moments of the unknown, we're to communicate the known. That's all Abraham was doing. Abraham knew that God had the power to raise Isaac from the dead. And you know what's so cool about this? God ain't even ever done that before at that point. At that point in the Old Testament, God had never raised somebody from the dead like that. But yet he believed it. Can I tell you that maybe God might call you to do something that you've never seen done before in your family? Maybe you've never seen a marriage end in faithfulness. You've never seen it, but yet God may call you to do something that ain't never been seen before. You've never seen anyone from your family commit their life to missions, but maybe God's going to call you to do something you ain't never seen before. Maybe you've never seen what your family would look like if you gave and tithe and offering. Maybe you've never seen what it looked like if you gave in your acts of service. Maybe you've never seen what it will look like as you communicate the gospel message to your friends and family. God will call you to do something that you ain't ever seen before so that you can rely and trust in faith in him. Abraham had complete trust without all the details. He believed that God would raise his son up from the dead. How could he believe that? Look at his past experiences. God had already done incredible work through Abraham's life. Remember, him and his wife were of old age. Her womb was barren. See, what's, let me give you something here. Abraham believed that, God, that if God could raise a son out of a dead womb, he believed that God could raise a dead son out of a tomb. God believed that Abraham could, I mean, Abraham believed that God could do incredible things, even though he ain't never seen it. He believed and trusted without all the details. The story continues. Don't forget about the other guy in the story, Isaac, the little energetic boy. It says, verse seven, and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the burnt offering? I mean, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for burnt offering, my son. 
So they went, both of them, together. The young, energetic, but yet curious Isaac pipes up and says, God, when he says, Abraham, I, I'm not understanding. Dad, me and you, we've been to church. I've gone to church with you before, and we've always taken a lamb with us. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dad, but I see the wood, I see the fire, I see the rope, but I don't see the lamb. And Abraham looks at his son without all the details, and he essentially says, I don't know, son, I don't know. But what I do know is that God will provide. How do we know about, how do we have complete trust? Complete trust is not built on the known. Complete trust is not built on the how. See, here's what's really cool about Abraham here. While Abraham didn't know the how, he knew the God who would do it somehow. Let that sink in for a second. Maybe you right now don't know how, but when you can put your faith and trust in a God who is going to make it happen somehow, man, incredible things happen. The story continues on that we see, a, we see complete trust done without all the details. Verse 9, it says, When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am, Lord. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and saw a ram caught in a thicket. We see that complete trust not is, on, is not only done without all the details. Complete trust is done through obedience. We see that Abraham here is completely obedient. It says he took his son up there. He built the altar, took his son, tied him to the altar, took the knife, raised it up, and I don't think he was pretending. I think he was ready to slaughter his own son because what Hebrews 11 tells us is that he believed that God would raise him from the dead. He was in complete obedience as he's getting ready to take the life of his own son. Guys, God is calling you to be obedient. How do you show complete trust? It's by you showing your obedience. What is, where is your lack of obedience? He is showing his obedience because Abraham was willing to sacrifice everything in order to be obedient to God. Is, do you have that same spirit in you that's telling you, are you willing to give up everything in order to be obedient? Sometimes we'll say, well, yeah, I'm obedient to God. Until maybe it calls you to do radical things in your life. I'm, I'm willing to be obedient, God, but, but God, you can't have my Saturday. God, you can't, you can't have my bank account. You can't have my relationships. You can't have my family. You can't have my job. You can't, you can't have these things. You can't have my prosperity. You cannot have my popularity. You cannot have these things. These are mine. Are you willing to sacrifice everything to show complete obedience to God. Abraham was. Abraham was ready to take the life of his son. Abraham understood that in order to receive everything God had for him, he had to release everything he was holding. What are you holding on to? My grandpa who passed away, this isn't his quote, but I remember him saying it. My grandpa passed away a couple months ago and I remember him saying it all the time. He said, Chandler, hold lightly what you cherish greatly because it ain't yours anyways. It's not his quote. I'm sure someone else said it. You know, you know what a quote is. It's remembering what you heard but forgetting where you heard it. That was kind of my grandpa, right? He says this, he said this to me all the time. He passed away a few months ago and 
And I couldn't help but get that off my mind as I was thinking about this sermon. Abraham was willing to let go what he wanted to hold on to so dearly. Look at what happened because of his complete trust. Verse 14, or verse 13, it says, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of this place Jehovah-Jireh, which means the Lord will provide, as it is written to this day, on the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided. Because of his complete obedience, God had provision over his life. God provided. Can I tell you we have a God that provides? We have a God that is anxious as you want to be, as worried as you want to be. We have a God that provides for us. Jesus talks about this in the book of Matthew as he's bringing his people together. And he says, why are you all anxious? Look at the raven. The raven even isn't worried about getting in a barn or gathering food. Why do you worry? Aren't you more valuable than a raven? We have a God that is a providing God. Jehovah Jireh. Jireh means to be seen beforehand. God has seen what you have not seen yet. Abraham had to trust that God had something in store. God had a plan. See, a lot of times we want to receive a blessing. We want to get it. We want to get all the blessings. Give me all of them. But God has to perceive it before you can receive it. He's got to perceive the provision before you can receive the blessing. That is the kind of God we have. Sometimes we'll flip it around. We'll change up the order. We'll be like, well, I just need the blessing now. I need it before I can step out on faith. The blessing that Abraham experienced did not happen until the complete trust was completed. Until he was willing to show that he was ready to let go of everything he had. We have a God that's a providing God that wants to give you provision. Something else I think about this scripture here. This had to be the quietest ram caught in a thicket in the history of ram caught in a thicket. Think about this now. Abraham getting ready to sacrifice his son. If I'm Abraham, I'm looking for the blessing. I'm like, did y'all hear that? Isaac, did you hear? I think there's something over there. And Isaac's like, dad, there's nothing here, bro. And you just imagine, he's like, all right. It says that the, the blessing was in close proximity to where it was happening because it says he could look up and see it. But God kept it quiet. Some of you were sitting there wondering where the blessing's at. Maybe it's close. Maybe the blessing's right in front of you, but you're too focused on something else. Maybe God's keeping quiet the blessing. The, maybe God's keeping quiet the provided provision because you have not completed your obedience. It says as soon as he completed, as soon as he completed his obedience, he could hear the blessing. God spoke down to him and said, Abraham, Abraham. Like as if he's urgently, no, no, stop. I see you've been faithful. Drop the knife. Don't put your hand on your boy. There's a ram caught in a thicket. We want to try to figure out where all the blessings at. Where's the provision? But we're not being obedient. See, God was providing for Abraham when all he was doing was moving. I imagine the story kind of going like this. Abraham and Isaac kind of walking up the mountain this way while God is orchestrating a ram walking up the mountain this way. Abraham this way had no idea there was a ram on the other side. All he had to do was be faithful. All he had to do was take his son, take a step, keep going up that mountain. All while God is on the other side, shooing that ram up the mountain, go up this mountain. He had no idea of the blessing on the other side. Guys, sometimes in our test, we may think there's no way God's going to redeem this. There's no way God's going to redeem my marriage. There's no way God's going to redeem this relationship. There's no way God's going to redeem this job. There's no way God's going to redeem this. There's no blessing, there's no way there's a provision, there's nothing. But on the other side of the mountain, 
When you get to the top and you've been faithful, God sees a promising God and he is faithful to himself. He looked up and he saw that ram and he sacrificed the ram instead of his son, Isaac. Those of you that are waiting for this provision, can I tell you that delayed obedience equals delayed provision? You may be sitting around, but you haven't truly committed yourself to obedience to an almighty, holy God. And you're still trying to figure out where the blessing's at. Where's the provision? Delayed obedience equals delayed provision. How it is, what happens now in this story? We see that there was a confusing test. We see that there was complete trust what does God do about this? Let's look. God's word, chapter 15, or verse 15. It says, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, Behold, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Verse 18, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. In a confusing test and complete trust, we have a committed triumph. We have a God that is committed to him, his promises, he is committed to the triumph of Abraham. He's committed himself to him. Can we have a God, can I let you know, we have a God that is faithful to himself. Praise God that he's faithful to himself. Because I know I'm not always faithful. I know I don't always get it right. I know I don't always pass the test. And you know what's cool? Neither did Abraham. Before this test, Abraham had failed many tests. But God was faithful. He was faithful to see the triumph of Abraham. Here's what's really cool about this. It's because Abraham triumphed, we too get the triumph. Look at me now. Look at what happens here. It says, and because of your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's talking about us. That's talking about you. You didn't even know you were in this story. You didn't even know it, but you were. You're being blessed. God wants to see you triumph. Nothing else wants the best for your life but God. He is it. You may think success. You may think circumstances. You may think popularity. You may think prosperity. Wants the best for your life? No. God wants the best for your life. God wants to see you triumph. And he was faithful to Abraham to see him triumph. And because he saw Abraham triumph, we too get to triumph. We too get to live with Jesus. It says that because of Jesus, we are an heir to Christ. Abraham is the father of our faith. Abraham had many sons, and me and you were one of them. Because of this faithfulness, God is faithful to himself. God is committed to see the triumph of Abraham. And we get to have that too. We get to experience that. Let me ask you something. Did you know that Jesus was in the midst of all this? Did you know Jesus was in the midst of this whole story here? You may be thinking, yeah, I know that. Come on, Chandler. I get it. There's so many parallels between Jesus and Abraham and Isaac. You think about God, you think about Abraham, you know, being commanded to sacrifice his son. You think about God sacrificing his son, Jesus. You think about Isaac going up the mountain with the wood on his back. You think about Jesus going up the mountain with the cross on his back. You think about Abraham preparing the altar. You think about God putting Jesus on the cross. You think about God, you think about Abraham being willing to sacrifice his son, but God willed that his son would be sacrificed for us. You think about the ram being provided as a substitute for Isaac. You think about Jesus being provided as a substitute for us. You think about Abraham receiving his son back. You think about Jesus literally raising from the dead. 
There are so many parallels here, but guess what? I'm not even talking about this. I'm not even talking about this. Jesus was in the middle of all this. Let me go to Genesis chapter 22, verse 4. Look with me if you can. Verse 4. It says, on the third day, on the count of three, give me a third day. One, two, three. There we go. It's about as good as my middle school students. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Just imagine Abraham walking with his Isaac, holding on to what he, what he cherishes so much, holding on to what he loves, walking up the mountain. He lifts up his eyes on the third day and he sees something. What did he see? What could Abraham have seen? Did he just look off in the distance and see just a bunch of trees? Maybe he saw a mountain. Can I tell you, I have an answer for you. In John chapter 8, I have it here. John is talking to the Pharisees and he's communicating to the Pharisees and he's telling them, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. You are enslaved. And the Pharisee says, we're not enslaved. We're the sons of Abraham. We've never experienced slavery. And then Jesus begins to go on and say, I know Abraham. You think you know Abraham. I've known Abraham. I have that relationship with Abraham. And he looks up and he tells, the, he tells the Pharisees, he says, what you don't know is that your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day and he saw it and was glad. I think when Abraham is walking with his son, his Isaac that he loves so dearly, I could imagine him thinking, man, I woke up early. My heart is breaking. I'm so, my, I'm struggling in this moment right now. I chopped the wood. I saddled the donkey. I'm walking up here and he imagined on the third day he looks up and I think he saw something so much greater than just a mountain. I think he saw something so much greater than something in the distance. I think he saw my Lord. I think he saw Jesus. And his whole attitude changed. I can, Im I can imagine him walking with Isaac and thinking, <laughs> oh man, that's Jesus. Jesus is up there. I'm keeping my eyes on Jesus. I'm keeping my eyes on the Savior. It says he looked up and he was glad. How could he have complete trust in a confusing test that would produce a committed triumph? It's because he kept his eyes on the Lord. He kept his eyes on the Savior. It talks about this in Hebrews chapter 12. This is what it says. It says, looking to Jesus, the father and perfecter of our faith, who for the glory, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated on the right hand of the throne of God. Look at me, church family. And we're getting ready to end. We're getting ready to have an altar call and I want you to be able to participate. Keep your eyes on Jesus. When moments of struggle come, when, when moments of, of, of terrible situations, when anxiety kicks in, when you as a young man or young woman have, have self, have identity issues that you, you're not pleased with yourself, when maybe you as a husband are struggling with lust and pride, when you as a mom are struggling with self-worth and identity, when you as a family are struggling financially, when you, when anxiety and depression and all the hardship come, I want to tell you what Abraham did, and that's to look to Jesus. What are we looking for? I believe he looked up and he saw the altar. He didn't see the altar that he would sacrifice his son. He saw the altar that God would sacrifice his son, Jesus. And he went up to that altar. Can I tell you that because Jesus Christ died on the altar, we have an opportunity to approach an altar. I want you right now, I want you to close your Bible. I want you to close your things together. I'm gonna to invite the worship team out. And I want you to think about what you've heard. Think about the confusing test. Think about the complete trust that was required. And then think about the completed, I mean, the, the committed triumph. I want you right now, when everybody stand, 
If you would, just stand right where you are, just stand. And I want you to bow your head and I want you to close your eyes. Don't check out yet. Please don't leave. Please don't, please stay focused. Abraham was taking his son that he loved up to the altar to sacrifice him. But because Jesus sacrificed himself as being the ultimate sacrifice, we don't have to. We get to go to the altar of God and, and maybe commit ourselves to him. When I was seven years old, the church kind of like this, I knelt down at an altar a lot like this and I surrendered my life to Christ. I wanna ask anyone in the room that has not believed and trusted as their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you sacrifice yourself and commit your life to Christ because he was the ultimate sacrifice. That you truly commit your trust in him. It says in Romans chapter 10, verse nine, it says, if you believe, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How could we baptize people earlier in this service? Because the sacrifice at the altar of Jesus. I wanna pray, when I pray, when I say amen, I wanna open this altar up. Maybe you, maybe there's husbands in the room that wanna grab their wife by the hand and take them to the altar and commit to trusting God with their family. Maybe there's some young ladies in the room that wanna to go to the altar and they wanna trust in God, even in these moments of insecurities and depression. Maybe there's some, some young men in the room that wanna to come to the altar and they wanna completely trust in their savior, they wanna put their trust in him and they wanna sacrifice the sin of lust and pride. When I pray, I want you to move as only you can move. Come to this altar and have a moment with God, just like Abraham did. Dear God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for all you've done. God, I thank you for just how powerful and almighty you are. God, I thank you for this altar. God, I pray that people will move in ways that you will call them to move. Maybe this altar will be filled, maybe no one moves. But God, I pray that you'll move in their heart. God, I love you and I thank you. I pray in Jesus' name.